Welcome to the Vintage Grace Sunday podcast. We're walking through the gospel of John together as a church week in and week out. Whether you're at the gym, in the car, working around the house, or doing whatever it is you like to do as you listen to podcasts, we hope that our time in John together helps you to develop a deeper love for Jesus. By the way, we are a relationally driven church, and we believe that we're transformed when we're in community. So if you're not in a life group, we invite you to sign up. Shoot an email to info at vintagegrace.org, and we'll help you find the right group for you. Let's grow in our joy together. Now, here's the Gospel of John. He is risen. Oh, you guys are bringing it today, huh? Happy Easter. Like, I got my purple on, my pastels. It is Easter Sunday at Vintage Grace. And I can't think of a more appropriate text on Thanksgiving week, because all you guys are like, where are we? Did we just, like, time travel? No, it is Thanksgiving week. And I thank you to our worship band for preparing our hearts, what we're thankful for. But every day is Easter Sunday. Amen? I mean, that's why we're a joy-filled community of faith. That's where our joy comes from. The tomb is empty. So I'm going to say it again. For the five of you that missed, he is risen. risen Now, Christianity would be so much simpler if that wasn't true. I want you to think about this just for a moment. Jesus would not be intimidating, nor would he be convicted if the tomb was full of his body. The presence of an empty tomb gives us an evidence that demands a verdict. I'm going to write a book someday, actually. (laughs) Here's the truth of Easter. If we take out Easter, Jesus is just this extraordinary man, but he's just a man who comes and does a lot of good things. He teaches a lot of good lessons. He has some really creative parables. He tells a lot of good stories. And at the end of the day, everyone would say, oh, we love Jesus. But the tomb's empty. There's nothing in the grave. And as a result of that, when Jesus raises from the dead, he changes everything. Why do Christians get called arrogant and exclusive? Because the tomb is empty. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father. Way too often we hear people talk about Jesus like he was just this exemplary teacher. That's what Gandhi said. Gandhi essentially said, he's just a really rad prophet. He said some really nice things, and if we just kind of live like Jesus, there might be more peace on earth, goodwill to men. But let's just be really honest. Jesus was not a rad prophet. In fact, honestly, if Jesus is who he says he is, then we must worship him. But if he's not who he says he was, if he's not God, then not only is he deceiver, disturbed, and deranged, but he's also probably demonic. He came to this world and said, I am God. I'm here to live the perfect life that you never could live. I'm here to die the heinous death that you deserve to die, but the grave is empty, amen? And so let's just be careful today on Easter Sunday during Thanksgiving week at Vintage Grace that Jesus is not a good dude if he's not God. But if he's God, he changes everything. That's the truth of Easter. It's impossible to just call him a great teacher. No, we must decide at a moment, maybe today, who is Jesus? And do we believe who he said he was, that he was almighty God coming from heaven to earth to make a way for us back to the garden that he created us to live in in the first place? 
The reality is he's not just taking us back to the garden. He's going to be creating for us a new city. That's the name of our church in Oakland. I love that name. A new city where brothers and sisters who are estranged, who are far, get to come back into God's presence. That's sin separated us from. That, that word from is a big deal, where we come from and where we're going to. And so today, as we dive into John chapter 20, we have a huge text today. I hope you pre-read. I tried to tell you guys for weeks leading up to today, if you don't pre-read, you will be lost. Go to your life group. You can read after the morning too. We'll read all the verses. We don't have time to walk through them all. And I'm going to read the first third of the text today because it's the setup for what I want to focus on in just a couple of minutes. And so here's the setup for what John is going to teach us today about Easter Sunday. Now, it's the first day of the week. That's the day that the early church now started to say, this is the day that we're going to gather. This is the first day of the week. And Mary, here's what the text says, Mary comes to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Mary saw Jesus die. So she ran and she got Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John. We see him reference himself this way. So she runs and tells Simon Peter and John, this is weird, guys. The body's not there. Now, she doesn't think that Jesus has been resurrected at this point. She just simply says somebody took him. Here's what the text says. The one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So she's trying to figure out not only where is Jesus, but who took Jesus. Now, we know because we're looking back on Easter Sunday because it's Thanksgiving. So we got, I mean, that's like looking back. We know what actually happened, but at this point, she doesn't know. And so she runs and gets these boys. The text goes on. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, and the other disciple outran Peter. Can we just stop for a moment? I love that John has the need to tell us that he's faster than Peter. Is anybody else in the room super insecure, right? That's what leads us to tell people, I'm faster than he is. Okay. I also love this because, honestly, when we read through the text, I think it's the word of God fully inspired by the king himself, but it's written by human authors, and I love that he's allowing us to just see even our own insecurity in the text. Because, again, if this was just a made-up fairy tale or a myth, first of all, women would not be the ones that discovered the empty tomb because in their culture, women were not respected. And beyond that, you wouldn't see the insecurity of even the beloved disciple that has the need to say, I'm the beloved and I'm faster than Peter. And he gets there and he stoops in verse 5 and he sees the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in, I think out of deference to Peter, the leader of the group. So then Simon Peter comes, the slow one, following him, and he goes into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the facial cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, all these people had seen Jesus he was not lying, the facial cloth was not lying with the linens, but it was folded up in its place. And as we study this as a text, Miss Jen, our kids pastor, said, if Jesus can fold his laundry, so can you, right? <laughs> and so don't miss this, parents that are looking for more references to the Bible. So Peter sees this. After Peter sees this, John, the other disciple, he reached the tomb first. He says it twice. Remember me, I got there first. He also went in and he saw and he what? He believed. That's the big idea of John. Hey, guys, today we're getting to the big idea of John. We've been talking about it for a year and a half. We're finally getting to the end of chapter 20 today. Chapter 20, verse 31 is the big idea, and John believed. Now, was he believing? We call it ongoing spiritual transformation at Vintage, OST. Why? Because healthy things grow. 
And so John's faith is growing. And at this point, John says, Jesus is gone. No one took him. He is risen. He's risen indeed. And I think at that point, John believes in a way that he hadn't yet fully believed. For as they did not yet understand the scripture fully, that he must rise from the dead. We saw Jesus say over and over again in the gospel, hey, someday you're going to understand this. Right now, you don't understand. But when you see it, you'll be like, that's what Jesus meant. It happens to me all the time, but it definitely happens in the journey with the disciples, where now John looks in, he sees the folded headcloth, he recognizes this is what Jesus meant, and he believes. It's the Spirit of God working in our lives, and then the disciples went back to their homes. So I think John goes back to his home, Mary, mother of Jesus, probably went back too. And so that's the setup of three unique stories we're going to look at today. Three stories we're going to see, and even as John is writing this account, let's pay attention to not only what he writes, but why. He's writing all these things that we might believe, but look at the way in which he writes, inspired by the Spirit himself, authored by God himself. But I want us to see these three unique stories. So John's going to tell us these three different but similar initial encounters with the resurrected Jesus. This is the first Easter Sunday. And as John does this, he does this to encourage us to what? Believe. He does this so that we might believe more like Mary, like the disciples, like John, and even like Thomas. So there's these three characters, Mary, disciples, and Thomas. And we're going to meet all three of these as they have their first interactions with Jesus. And there's a parallel story that John's writing this in such a way to teach us something. He does this, I think, because from that point on, their lives are never the same. Why? Because Jesus was not just a good teacher. He's either God or he's demonic, one or the other. We can't live in this world of, man, what a nice guy. He just had so many good things to say. Jesus never preached slap on the butt sermons. You know that? Think about that. Most of the time after Jesus preached, what do people want to do to him? Kill him. Again, I've always wrestled with that as a young preacher. No, seriously, like when Jesus calls us to follow him, do we recognize the cost? And are we willing to pay the price? Last week was Good Friday at Vintage Grace. He paid the price, but it came at a cost, and our lives want to be the same. And so I want to invite you this morning. Remember, there's a little Andrew in each and every one of us. There's a little Robbie. There's a little Timmy. There's a little Thomas, little Tommy boy. What is God doing? He's inviting us to believe and to trust, and that in our trust, our lives can be the same. But church, please hear me. There is no American Christians in the gospel. There is no cultural Christianity. You're either following Jesus at a cost or you're not following him at all. You're you're following something that you've made up in your mind. But he's either God or he's not. And so there's this fork in the road. And I think here's the pattern we're going to see in all three stories. Jesus comes to us from afar. Every one of us, he comes to us. Number two, he accepts us as we are. I want you to notice as we read the text, all the different emotions. We are a train wreck of emotions. It's this beautiful chaos. And he deals with us from afar, but he gets very personal, very intimate, and he deals with us in our emotional state of mind. Notice that in the stories. And and then here's really the third thing, is that from that point on, our lives are never the same. The word from, it's a powerful word. It's powerful. That means that it's this point where a journey starts. It's this point of a particular event. And so here's the question. Do we recognize that Jesus rose from the dead? Now, that's a question that's gonna demand a response from you today and from us every day of our lives, do we recognize this? And if so, I think there's a personal application, just like there was for Tommy, just like there was for the disciples, just like there is for Mary today. So I'm gonna ask you to open your hands as we pray. Because this is gonna actually change our marriages, our parenting, our finances, our jobs. 
The word from is gonna change everything. We're either launching into a journey with Jesus or we're rejecting his invitation. So Spirit of God, we pray that from this point on, we would recognize that you rose from the dead. That you've invited us into something, even in this moment. And if we, like Thomas, have had hard hearts, would you soften those hearts? If we, like Mary, have been close but were depressed, would you show us a joy? And if we, like the disciples, are afraid of what it means to step out in faith, Spirit of God, would you do something to us and through us, through your word and through your story, ultimately for your glory and for our good, we pray. Spirit of God, speak. And everybody said, amen. So here's where we're going to start. Jesus comes to us from afar. Now, I've always been amazed. Anyone else amazed that Jesus doesn't just, like, hang out in the empty tomb? Like, think about how cool that would be. Can you see the cinematography taking place? Like, they come back, and Jesus is like, psst, psst, I'm over here. Like, ta-da! Like, I just think that'd be so cool. We're like, they come, and they're, like, ready, and Jesus, like, scares the hell out of you. Come on, think about that. He's inviting you to heaven, and he's like, boom. Right? You're like, Okay, I don't need hell anymore. Why? Because hell lost another one. I am what, church? Free. Free. You guys brought it today, choir. We were dead, but now we're alive. And so I've always been amazed as I read the book that Jesus doesn't just go like, ta-da, here I am. And I think there's a reason for that. And we're going to see in all three of these stories that Jesus takes the initiative. I think way too often we think we came to God, but let's be really honest. What happened? He came to us. At Christmas, we're gonna sing songs like Emmanuel. That is, he came to us, God with us. Guys, have we tried to pursue God on our own? Have you heard of the Tower of Babel? Have you seen the great empire of Babylon and every empire between them and us and everyone in between? We try to go to God, but let's be honest, the gospel is that we were far from God, but he came to us. We were dead in our sin, amen? But God makes us alive from the empty grave to our lives today. And so we're going to look at these three stories where Jesus takes the initiative, starting with Mary. So verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So John's telling us what takes place in this first encounter with Jesus. And Mary stands weeping outside the tomb, and she stooped in as she saw this tomb. And she saw these two angels in white, one at the body of Jesus, laid at the head, and the other one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, I think she's a little scared there. She's not expecting this. Well, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they, she doesn't think it's them, they, but she said they, she doesn't know who they are. There's other women that we know from the synoptic gospels that have come with Mary to the tomb. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Does anyone else feel like stress comes from not knowing? Now, now again, she's depressed, she's sad, her entire life has been blowing up at this point, but really at that point, what does she want right now more than anything? Just a little control, just give me Jesus. Now, I don't think she even means it spiritually. I think she means it emotionally. Just give me physically the body of Jesus. The text goes on. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was him. Why? I think partly because you know when you cry so much that you just can't even see what's in front of you? I think there's this reality that she is bawling. She's overwhelmed with grief and sadness. And so she turns and she sees this other guy. She thinks it's the gardener. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she, Mary, said to Jesus, sir, if you have carried him away, will you tell me where you have laid him and I'll take him away? I also just love the, the vibrato of this woman. <laughs> I'll throw him over my shoulder. I got it. Put me in, coach, right? Like... Now recognize she doesn't recognize Jesus. She's like, well, maybe they moved him. Maybe they needed this hotel for somebody else. Maybe that's what's taking place. And I love what John records from us next. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
Mary. Remember in John chapter 20 where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd? And he says, my sheep will what? Guys, part of my role as pastor is to train you to hear the voice of the good shepherd. Because no matter how uncertain the future is, no matter how overwhelmed we are in grief, we must be reminded that there's no bad news in the kingdom of God, only news that he's using for his glory and for your good. And so this news for Mary has been overwhelming. Jesus is dead. She is depressed. She is overcome with sorrow. But then she hears Mary. Is there anything better than hearing the voice of the shepherd? Because my sheep will hear my voice. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. Now, I just can't help but imagine my kids grabbing my leg. The other day, I was trying to leave for work. And as my kids get bigger, it gets more awkward when they grab your legs. And here's what Jesus says to her. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but I I want you to go to my brothers and to say to them, I'm ascending to my Father so that your Father, to my God and to your God. Recognize again, if the disciples were creating this story, they would not have Mary be the main messenger here. She would have lacked credibility, but in the communitas of faith, we recognize that we are one. So here he sends Mary, Mary Magdalene then went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and he said these things to me. So recognize story one, Jesus comes to us. He takes the initiative. Story two, then we see the disciples. It's the evening of that day. They've been sitting around now wrestling with, did you hear what Mary said? I don't know what they were, I don't know if they were chopping wood or picking grapes, but they're scattered on some level. And then they all get together into the room. And here's what the text says. They've locked the doors Why do they lock the doors? Because, pay attention, they were followers of the Rabboni. They were followers of Jesus. Jesus just got killed for being the great teacher. And they're following the great teacher. What does that mean for them? That's a great question. They're locking the doors so they can figure it out. The doors are locked right now as the disciples gather for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus, pay attention, Jesus comes and just stands with them. Hey, Dan. Now, again, part of why John tells the door was locked, he was there, because this is not a ghost experience. This is not like he kind of came through the walls. He just appeared. Why? Because he's God, but he's in physical form. And Jesus comes and stands amongst them, and he says, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed his disciples his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad. Can you not say, like, the understatement of the book? (laughs) And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus then said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, I told you guys in a couple of weeks we're going to launch our Christmas series. And it's going to be all about losing the ethic of love, which is my fear that we may have missed the ethic of love. And it's going to be a lot about forgiveness. I'm not going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. But man, those of us who recognize the love of God has been given to us, so too is the forgiveness of the Father, which means we are very liberal in our forgiving of other people, church. We're very quick to forgive. We're very quick to to extend the olive branch, to take the initiative. Why? Because he took the initiative with us. And so he comes to the disciples from afar. And then here's the third story with Thomas. Now, Thomas was one of the 12 called the twin, and he was not with them when Jesus came. Now, again, we don't know why he wasn't with them. We don't necessarily know where he was. Most of the disciples are afraid for their life, so they've locked themselves in the upper room, but Thomas is gone. And again, if we could read in the text and speculate a little bit, which I want to do for just a moment, this is what I would call eisegesis, where you read into the text, and it's very dangerous, so don't do it too much. 
Jesus gave us the book, and we can exegetically understand what it means in their town. But I do wonder, Thomas is not with them, and I just wonder why. Like, we know why Judas isn't with them, but the rest of them are together. And so Thomas is not, here's one of my curiosities. I kind of see Thomas as being a really, really faithful guy. Do you ever recognize that when you have really, really high highs, you also have really, really low lows? I wonder if Thomas was one of those guys that was so faithful that, again, as even the disciples were running away, even as Peter was denying Jesus, I wonder if Thomas was like, come on, Peter. Come on, man. We got to believe. We got to believe. We got to believe. He told us we got to believe. I wonder if Thomas was the last one as the the tomb got sealed. I wonder if that's why he's gone. Because he held on longer than anybody else. And at the end, the tomb gets sealed and he is depressed. He's doubting. That's what we see from the text. He was not with them, so the disciple told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, look, unless I see the hands and the marks of his nails, and I place my finger on the marks of those, and I place my hand into his side, then I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples, those 10 that were in the upper room, right, that they actually had to wait like a whole day, eight days later, another week, and inside, and the doors were locked again, and Jesus came. Who takes the initiative? Jesus. Jesus comes to Thomas And he says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do you not disbelieve but believe? Thomas said, my Lord, my God. Now, now this is what we got to see from all three stories. Who takes the initiative? It's Jesus every single time. Every time. And, And I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful for that because he comes to us in our situations, in our scenarios, and he shows up. Some of us kind of grew up in the church. And he might come to us gently, like Mary. See how he comes gently to Mary? He just shows up. He says, I'm with you. Sometimes some of us didn't necessarily grow up in the church. And he shows up in these radical ways through other people. I think God showed up through other people even before he showed up to Thomas directly. Because the disciples that whole week were like, bro, he's alive. I don't believe it. Thomas's heart was hard. I mean, over and over and over again for a week. How many times did Peter say, look, I didn't believe also, but God. And yet Thomas was resistant. Sometimes he's gentle, sometimes he comes through others. Sometimes he just gets in our face. Is that not good news that sometimes Jesus gets in our face? Sometimes he disrupts everything in our life so that we have to deal with what is the real thing, what matters most. But the point in all of these stories is that he came, that he seeks and saves the lost. That's what he told to Zacchaeus, remember? I have come to seek and to save. Remember chapter 15, what happens in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus says, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost brothers. He takes the initiative, he goes, he pursues, and he finds. Here's the second part of the stories that overlap. Not only does he meet us as we are, but he meets us where we are, I think emotionally. He meets us in that. Again, all three of these people had the same encounter with Jesus, the teaching through those three years, his death, and now his resurrection. They all had the same experience, but they received it very differently. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes different is just different. Can somebody say amen? That would solve a lot of issues in our world. I don't mean easy believism. I don't mean water down the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus is very exclusive in his theology, but sometimes different is just different, and that's okay. You experience something with someone else and you look at them and say, how dare you be upset about that? And then someone else is crying about it and someone else is angry and we don't necessarily know, but the Spirit's gonna meet us wherever we are. How good is our Jesus? It's not about us. I think sometimes, you ever had a moment in your life when like someone showed up at the front door and you weren't ready for them to arrive? Is that just me? Like the other day, the cops came by, by our request, just to clarify. And again, we have a bathroom like right next to our front door. And I was like, hold on. I'm not ready for you. 
I think we say that about Jesus a lot, right? We say, I'm not ready for you. Let me get ready for you, Jesus. I'm watching the game. Maybe, ladies, you're doing your hair. But Jesus shows up when we're not ready for him, but he comes and he literally caters his message to us in our broken environment. This is what I want you to see in these three stories. Then the disciples went back to their homes, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and she wept and she stooped and looked at the tomb. Jesus shows up in her pain. He's always there. I think so often as a church, we talk about praying the gap away of vintage grace. When there's a painful situation in our life, we regularly pray, Lord, shrink the gap. Instead, we should be praying, Jesus, will I just see you in the gap? You meet me here. You meet me in the midst of this pain, and he does that for Mary. Mary is hurt more than she ever could have imagined. The emotional darkness, it was excruciating. Her circumstances were bleak. She gave her life to following Jesus, and he was gone. But he's not gone, is he? He's never gone. Never. And so Jesus shows up in the midst of her pain and he meets her there. Think about the disciples. What were the disciples? Were they sad? Sure. But again, I I think often, sometimes we move on from sadness. They were just afraid. They had followed this Jesus. Jesus was gone. Now they said, what's going to be the cost for us? Remember, Peter denied him three times just the night before. And so in this context, on the evening of that day, the doors were locked. Why? Because they're afraid of the Jews. Jesus meets them in their fear They were sold out to follow this revolutionary rebel in their mind, and now he was put to death, and he was killed because he preached, and they were following the preacher who was no longer there. So grieving, sure, but they're desperately afraid, and then the Holy Spirit gets breathed on them. Church, don't miss this. I'm not saying as Christians we don't get sad. I'm not saying as Christians we don't have fear. I'm just saying we don't have to be afraid. We're regularly afraid. Because we don't know the outcome. But he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And twice he says, peace. We're going to celebrate this at Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's because Jesus came. Here's the third person, Thomas. He's doubting. He has a hard heart. He still won't believe after this entire week. And Thomas was there, verse 25. And so their disciples said, we've seen the Lord. But he said, no, my heart is hard. Unless I see it myself, I will what? Never believe. Guys, that word never is a dangerous word because I just think often God's like, challenge accepted. When our denomination said, hey, Drew, would you guys consider planting a church? We were like, no way. But if you remember the story, I said, they said, what are the odds? I said, 2% because I knew if I said never, we'd have to go. I love this. Thomas says, I will never believe how good is it that God's grace is bigger than our never. Every time. God's grace is bigger than our never every time. And so Jesus meets him in his doubt. Now, again, I love this. No matter where we are, are we grieving? Are we afraid? Are we doubting? The reality is that in all three of these, Jesus meets us there, and he doesn't wait for us to get ready for him. He takes the initiative. He pursues us. If we're too depressed, too sad, too afraid, too materialistic, too involved in sin, Jesus tends to break down every one of those barriers and pursue us because he's the good shepherd. Those are the three stories that repeat over and over and over again. There's so many implications in their town. And really, here is the big implication in their town. The big implication is that once we meet Jesus from, there's that word again, from that point on, our lives are never the same. Do you think that Mary started to just go back and continue her life pre-Jesus? Do you think that Peter and John and Thomas continued on. In fact, think about these three people. They went from tears to joy. They went from fear to peace. They went from doubt to certainty. Their lives were never the same. Thomas went from being called Doubting Thomas. He's like, can I shake this nickname? 
Like, what the heck? Every one of us has doubted. Every one has been afraid. Every one of us has been overcome by tears and by grief. But God is greater than. Amen? In fact, Thomas, that certainty that Thomas received from Jesus, again, church history would tell us that's what led him to go to India further than almost anybody else. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Because when we meet Jesus, we are never the same. Now, the scary part, of course, is way too often we're like, well, actually, my life does kind of look the same. That can't be true according to the book. Thomas's life is never the same. Mary's life is never the same. Our number one value as a church is we believe that there is more what, church? More joy. I talked to someone recently that just left California, part of the, the mass exodus from California, and we say as a church we want to be a sending church. I just don't necessarily mean that every Sunday I want to pray over a new family leaving for Idaho. But that's okay. I just pray God's calling you, but I love this. I'm texting with him, a former life group leader, and he just said, yeah, here's the problem. I'm going to churches, and there's not a joy in their leadership. Church, when we say there's more joy in Jesus, please understand what I mean. It's not that we're naturally happy people. No, we're naturally afraid, doubting, tear-filled people, but God. Guys, we were dead in our sin, but God makes us alive. What does that make us, church? Okay, this is depressing. We were dead, but God makes us alive. We become what? Happy, holy, transformed, joy-filled saints because now we have certainty. We know the final score. Now we have joy that actually marks us. It's not because our marriages are necessarily easier than yours. We've said this in the Good Life series. The good life is not an easy life. It's a better life. Mary understood that. The disciples understood that. They understood that there was peace. Church, church, I can't wait for our Christmas series. This idea of losing the ethic of love. It's coming out of COVID when way too many people were just jerks. And I don't even know if we are coming out of COVID. Who knows? All I know is that God wins every time. And so there's a joy and a peace and a certainty that we as believers in church, I just love being your pastor because I see it in you. Not all the time. I see little Tommy sometimes too. And you see little Andrew right alongside you. We are sinners saved by grace. See, in their town, the implication is that once we meet Jesus, because of Easter Sunday, which is not one day a year, it's every day of the year. Because he is risen, he is risen indeed. It changes the way that we fight in our marriages. It changes the way that we love our kids and discipline them. It changes the way that we live as baristas at Starbucks. It changes the way that we treat our baristas. The, the church starts to become big tippers. You know why? Because the money's gonna burn anyway, so we might as well use it for kingdom impact. We start to change the way, and it started with Mary, the disciples, and Thomas. It started with them going from the tomb to the empty grave. That word from changes everything. Say the word from. From that point. In their town, it changed everything. Thousands of years later, we still gather on non-Easter Sundays to celebrate Easter Sunday. Say the word from. I want you to think about this. That's their town. What about our town? Is there a from moment for you and me? Regularly Sundays, church, I believe part of my call as a teaching pastor is to train the saints for the work of the ministry. The best part of Vintage Grace gatherings is not that you come, but it's that you go from this place. When you leave this place, you get to go be like Mary, a joy-filled saint. You get to go be like Thomas. Do tell the story. I was such a doubter. I was such a sinner. Paul says, I was the best sinner. You want to talk about boasting? Not I was the fastest, man. I was the slowest. Man, Jesus was all around me, but I was slow to receive. But God's grace was sufficient for me. Amen. 
And I, I didn't get there first. I didn't get there ever except for God got there. He pursued me. Jesus said to him, Thomas, hey, have you believed because you've seen me? And I love this. Do you see yourself in the text here? Blessed are those who have not yet seen me, but they have believed. Who is he talking about? He's talking about vintage grace. Guys, we don't see Jesus physically face to face. Sometimes in your French toast, I've seen those pictures, you know, get sold. Sometimes we see him in the clouds. But we do see him in each other. We see him in his word. He spoke to us. He gave us his word to understand. We see him through the love of the saints, through the love of joyful communities of faith. Man, I saw him at Oakland last week, getting a front row seat, passing along our greetings, preaching a word, and then watching their first baptism. I see him moving and stepping into cities and storming the kingdom of darkness and, and sharing the kingdom of light. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. And now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of these disciples, which are not written in the books. He says, we just can't contain it all. I don't have enough time in the sermon to tell you everything John says. But these are written so that you may believe. Remember, John wrote this to the early church. John wrote this at a time where the church, I think, was stepping into persecution. Church, don't lose heart. He wins because the grave is empty. Because he goes from death to life, and that word from changes everything. So the implication for us today is, is our life eternally changed? My prayer is yes. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have what, church? Good life. Now that word life comes up three different times throughout Scripture just the way in which the word is used, one of the ways is bios. It's a physical life. It's where we get our word biology. That's not here. Another way we see the word come up throughout scripture is suke, which means soul. It's where we get psychology. So we have bios and suke, but this word here, this is zoe. Zoe means a life that comes from God. It's an uncreated life. It's a divine life. Jesus came to give us a life that we will never get apart from him. Church, we come together to be given the good life. The good life is possessed by Jesus and it's put in us through his spirit. Here's just some of the ways that he's been using this term. In him was Zoe, life, uncreated, divine life, and the life was the light of man. Jesus came to light up your life. For God who loved the world so much that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have Zoe, eternal life. Not a physical life that will die, not a bios. No, he came to give Zoe life. Whoever hears my word and believes, he has what? Eternal life. Church, we don't live for today. We don't even live for tomorrow. We live for an eternity of tomorrows, and that changes the way that we fight with our wives. That was wife singular, apostrophe S. It changes the way that we love and discipline our kids. Why? Because whoever hears my word and believes, he has this thing. He has certainty. He has the final score. And so I came that they may have Zoe, life, and have it average. So, so. No, no, church. Jesus comes to give you life. And what kind of life is that? It's an abundant. And guys, the world is noticing. Putt-putt golf does not make us happy. It makes us holy because we have to chase balls all over the parking lot. Putt-putt golf gives us an opportunity to engage with people to say, there's more life in Jesus than anything. I couldn't help but laugh when Michael said, and so we're going to bring to Eldorado Hills like the one thing they don't have, right? That's Jesus. That's the one thing, no matter how nice of a city. And if you're going to leave Eldorado Hills to go to Idaho, you're going to try to create a new city. 
You can't create it. Only Jesus can, amen? He comes to give us life, an eternal life, and that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so God is ascending God. He sends the Son, and the Son breathes the Spirit on us. And so church, I just want to close today by asking you to open your hands and receive the Spirit. Because what we see in the book of Acts over and over again is not simply that he gives us and seals us with the Spirit, but then he fills us. And so, Spirit of God, would you fill us? Would you fill us in such a way that as we step into Christmas this season, whether it be golf courses or, or shopping for Oakland, would you fill us so that what comes out of us is you and your eternal life? Not a psychology, not a biology, but a life possessed by you, God, for your glory. Lord God, right now, as we have our hands open, I just pray that you would reveal to us people in our lives. Would you show us people that you've strategically placed in our neighborhoods and in our cubicles and at Jackson Elementary School and at Pondo High School? Would you reveal to us faces right now, Spirit? Would you bring to heart people like Thomas? Could we be like Peter to him? This week, between these eight days, Lord God, I pray that you would give us people like Mary, that we would start to see that we need to be encouraged by one who has faith, that in the midst of uncertainty, would you give us a joy and a confidence and a hope that doesn't come from our circumstances, but comes from our Christ and our Savior. Spirit, that's a you thing. We need you. Would you create in us not just clean hearts, but full hearts? Clean hearts as we repent from our sin, as we're received by you, as we proclaim that hell lost another one, that we are free. And with that truth, not only set us free, but with that truth, send us into our community today, I pray. Because we have a living hope. We have a living hope that, that changed everything from death to life. Jesus, you changed everything. And so we celebrate you. We receive you. Would you fill us today? Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Grace Sunday podcast. Our prayer is that God use this time to deepen your relationship with him. Hey, if you benefited from this podcast in some way, shape, or form, would you consider sharing this with a friend? It's just a simple way that you can share what Jesus is doing in your life with others. As always, we hope this podcast helps you to be the living proof of a loving God wherever he invites you to be this week.